as always, it's so good to be here, uh, be with you guys, wake up on a Friday morning, and just to be able to enjoy just uh, the connection, the community that we get to uh, have as, as men, men who love our God, and uh, it's just, it's a beautiful thing, it really is. Well, for the sake of time, I'm going to just go ahead and jump right on in into Ecclesiastes 2, uh, but let me begin with a real quick refresher. Last week, we talked about the context of Ecclesiastes and uh, why the book exists, what was the scenario uh, that surrounded it, and we talked a little bit about Solomon, both of which we need to have that information as we go into Ecclesiastes to actually glean from it what we need to glean from it. So what Solomon does in Ecclesiastes 1, he kind of does a, somewhat of an introduction like a, like a normal writer would do. But when he gets to Ecclesiastes 2, right beginning in verse 1, he hits the theme hard. And it's, and it's great. So let's, uh, let me pull out my phone here. And uh, if you want to join me, in, I mean, you can... Uh, Pull up Ecclesiastes if you've got a Bible with you and follow along with Ecclesiastes uh, 1, uh, Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 through 11. It's, uh, it's really, it's, it's kind of, uh, he, just, he just pulls no punches. That's what I love about Solomon. Here he goes. Ecclesiastes 2, beginning of verse 1. It says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? And then in verse 3, powerful verse, it's a critical verse in this whole text. He says, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom, important point, and how to lay hold on folly. And then here he gives his purpose. Till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. That's what Solomon was after, was that information. And then he says what he did, okay? Beginning in verse 4. Now get this. Notice a couple things here. Notice the plurality of all the things that he lists here. In other words, it wasn't just one thing, it was multiple things. All right? I made great works. I built houses. Not a big house, not a mansion, houses, okay? I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees, not patches a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had gone before me in Jerusalem. And it doesn't stop. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both male and women, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of sons of men. Okay? We know of at least 300... Okay, one for almost every day of the year. Okay, I, I know. <laughs> and it doesn't stop there. He keeps going. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Again, he makes that point, and it's an important point, and we'll touch on it. Um, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them the clincher. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward 
for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And here's where wisdom comes in. Wisdom takes our action and then interprets it, okay? You know, as good or right or wrong or, you know, left or right or whatever. That's what wisdom does. So then here's what wisdom determines after all he has done. And we're talking about a wisdom from God. So this is God-like wisdom in uh, interpreting all that had happened. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So that's the first 11 verses of chapter 2. And I can't wait till we get into, into, into the rest of Ecclesiastes. It's a, it's a great, great book. It really is. Now you look at what Solomon did, and Solomon took the wisdom that, that God had given him, and he used it in the horizontal. In other words, he used it to, to do all the activities that he would do um, throughout his days on this earth. Okay, so he applied his wisdom, which we ought to do. And if we don't, if we don't have wisdom, what does is, what is Christ say through his half-brother in the book of James? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives bountifully. Okay, so if we don't feel like we have wisdom, let's ask him for it. And then let's apply it in the horizontal, like Solomon did. The problem was Solomon didn't connect the vertical. What he did was he took the wisdom and he applied it without the owner's manual, essentially. Okay, So he did not have this vertical connection. But the thing is, he, get, he started his life with it. He, he feared God from the beginning. So what ended up happening? Why is he in this particular state? And I can't help but go back to that proverb that we talked about last week, Proverbs 30, where the author of Proverbs 30 makes a beautiful prayer. And, and I, I love this prayer. I, I pray it on a consistent basis. And the prayer is this. He said, Two things I ask of you, do not deny me before I die. One, keep lies and deception far from me. Two, feed me, uh, me, uh, give me neither hum, poverty nor riches. Feed me with the portion that is my own. And here's why. He says, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I go hungry and steal and profane the name of my God. I look at that and I think, what happened to Solomon? What between the time he began to he feared God from the beginning of his life till the time we're reading about it in Ecclesiastes, what happened here? And I can't help but think Solomon probably was so materialistic. God had blessed him so much, he lost sight of the fact that there was a God. He became so so full that he denied God and said, Who is the Lord? You know, I, I don't. I don't think it's necessarily intentional. I just think that's probably what happens, because whether you're rich or poor, the truth of the matter is we need God. It's not an issue of the flesh; it's an issue of the soul. So whether we have abundance or whether we are living day to day, the truth of the matter is neither of them needs God any less, because it's an issue of the soul. So let's jump back to what Jesus says, okay? If we go to Matthew chapter 16, it's a wonderful passage there. And it's important to note the context behind this passage. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die, to suffer and die for you and me 
and for all of mankind. He's on his way. And he tells his disciples that he's on his way. And Peter, I love Peter. Oh, man, I identify with Peter. Peter steps up to the plate and just like a, like a good old man's man, over my dead body you're doing that. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You set your eyes on the will of man instead of the will of God. Okay? It is God's will that I do this. And then he makes his powerful statement. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Forever who wishes to lose his life, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever is willing to lose his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So that's his, that's his message to the disciples at that point. And then you look at that. You go back to the verse 24. In, I mean, yeah, in verse 24 in Matthew 16 there. And there's a sequence of events that, God, that, that Jesus mentions here that we have to take to heart. And that is this. One is the condition of the heart. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. The next is an issue of choice. Whoever wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. And the last one is the action. It's the punchline. Follow me. So the question is, where are we on that spectrum? Is it an issue of the heart? Are we making a choice? Are we actually living it out and following him? And that's what comes to play when I'm thinking of Solomon here. The other thing Christ says is found in John 10. He says, I came to give you life and what? Life abundantly. And that word, man, that's just, I mean, we kind of think life abundant, okay? Just more than average. No, it is life overflowing, more than we can handle. It's just life upon life upon life. That's what he came to give, okay? And so that's, you know, Jesus came and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, okay? He is life. He can give life, and he wants to give it abundantly to us, okay? So that's where it's found. It's not found in all these concubines, these, you know, man, man and female, male and female slaves and uh, singers and all. It's not found in that. It's found here, okay? So that's, that's what Christ came to give us, okay? It's not an issue of feeding the flesh. Those are gifts from God. Where did Solomon go wrong? He focused on the pursuits as an end and of themselves and left out the giver of all those pursuits. That's where he failed, okay? And we're going to get to that next time in Ecclesiastes 2, the last few verses of the chapter. We'll look at that next time, and he's going to provide a perspective that does answer the whole question. But it's important for us to go where he walked and realize the futility, the vanity, the uselessness, the meaninglessness of pursuing pursuits as an end and of themselves, okay? So that's that's the first part of Ecclesiastes 2. We'll get to the next part next Friday. Alrighty? Alright, gentlemen? Alright, no problem. Thank you.